Your stories don't define you. How you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief storymaker of Elkins Consulting. Many of my clients reach out to me because they're in transition. Their children are hitting milestone ages. They want more from their work. They're hitting a big number birthday. And they want to develop clarity about their natural strengths, what their next adventure might look like. In this series, you'll hear me ask my guests questions to dig deeply into the stories that shaped their lives, stories that uncover patterns and may unveil insights into dissatisfaction and also where their strengths lie and where they found and continue to find joy. This podcast's intention is to have listeners think of their own related stories and how they tell them, discovering the internal messages that are limiting their success and discovering how to shift their stories so they become positive life lessons to move them forward. If you're curious about what it would be like to work with me, visit elkinsconsulting.com and schedule a one-time 90-minute StrengthsFinder session. Listeners, you are in for a treat with this episode. I mean, I think all of my guests are pretty fabulous, but this is going to be a conversation that I think you're going to want to share with a lot of other people in your life. My friend Paul Howry and I have been connected since 2017, April 2017. Um, We were just looking that up, trying to figure out how we met, and we still can't place exactly who saw whom through whom, um, how that connection worked. But we've been highly connected, especially in the last probably six to eight months, and um, have had some pretty interesting back and forth in the comment section on LinkedIn and then on email and then on Instagram. Um, mostly because we share a love for dogs and particularly labs, but dogs in general. So Paul, um, I am so grateful for you to join me today on your stories. Don't define you how you tell them will. Uh, It's a joy to be here. I mean, actually all this time I have just loved your stuff. So this is just like a total (laughs) privilege and honor. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you. So I invited you partly because, um, you have a unique way of approaching belonging and starting with self-belonging. But let's start with the question that I always ask my guests, because I think this will lead us very easily as soft lob into the conversation that we've been kind of discussing we'd like to have. So do you have something you could share with us that most people might not know about you? Something that isn't on your LinkedIn profile, your bio, your resume, people who maybe know you more recently, something that might surprise them. Oh my gosh. I had all sorts of thoughts in my head about this from before. <laughs> and now I just went blank. <laughs> you went blank. Um, hmm. Well, you mentioned something just in our pre-conversation about... Um, having that sense that you weren't enough at some point. And that had to come from somewhere that maybe you haven't shared. I've always been somewhat, if you, if you don't like me too bad, but that, that belied a, an under underpinning of actually, am I enough? And even, I, I will even go to this point, even as a kid, I grew real fast in two segments and spurts of life and like from kindergarten to fourth grade. And then later on in high school, I grew like, I went from like five, seven to six foot two in like a less than two years, but but I'm going to go to the, 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 the fourth grade one. 
because it really matters. I ran like a duck. I was skinny, gangly. You know, I was the epitome of you're going to get picked last on kickball. (laughs) (laughs) Just period. Mm -hmm. Um, I can relate to that. um, My parents got asked and I had gone into tried to tried um, uh, little league baseball. There was a problem is I had double vision. I needed to have my eyes trained so they could actually have stereoscopic vision. And uh, that was crazy because that actually changed the game for me Um, because I also have a very much higher refresh rate for my eyes than a normal person. But it still didn't help me because I I found that out after uh, trying to play baseball. The only home Mm -hmm. run I hit was a pitch that hit the dirt first and I actually hit the ball and went out of the park. (laughs) Back to the quick quick one of the soccer. Um, So I end up um going out for soccer and i'm not kidding you if you could right now those are my feet if you were actually <laughs> seeing the screen our listeners his hands are pointing apart with his fingertips pointing apart like a duck <laughs> yeah so but um ray wolf was the coach and he said yes to get getting on the team man i was a charity case and there wasn't a lick of me feeling confident about anything. Um, but there was a, there was a caringness that was there. And as I played his coaching, his being there, I was given enoughness from him. Mm. And, and that, that's a key thing. Um, I don't want to lose that thought, but I'm gonna let it go. Um, we're given enoughness. And later on, and I went through another growth phase, when I made state select soccer, he was the one uh, rooting for me, pushing me, encouraging me. And that meant I was going to leave his team. Oh. Um, so this kid who couldn't run, couldn't kick a soccer ball, I mean, if I did, you didn't know where it was going. Because <laughs> your feet were pointing the wrong oh, My feet, yeah. My <laughs> feet had no control. Um, I ended up making the team, and I ran in a 100-yard field that was Centrex sand. It was sand. It's really terrible. Uh, up at Pacific Middle School, uh, Middle School. I ran in an 11-second splat. Wow. Yeah. And what all I heard was, go, legs, go. Kind of like run, forest, run. But I was actually, oh, God, it's a Forrest Gump story. (laughs) Um, And he was just yelling, go, legs, go. That's all I heard. And I went faster and faster and faster. And I beat everybody and they just said, he's on the team. So I was given enoughness um, by Ray. Mm. Mm. Isn't it amazing that you can look back and find a person, I mean, multiple people, you hope, but a person that was kind of a trigger, the, the person that changed things. And you may not have known it at the time, 
certainly not in the first couple of meetings, but at some point you can look back. And what I love about this story is that this coach gave you a gift. He knew he was being helpful. There's no way he knew the long-term consequences of his actions and taking you under his wing and caring for you. And of course, I didn't know that story. Of course, I didn't know you were gangly and that you went through two ridiculous growth spurts. I know nothing about growth spurts. <laughs> well, no, I should I should rephrase that. My freshman year of college, I went from four foot eleven to five foot two. Freshman year of college, which is highly unusual for a girl. Yeah, that's that's actually yeah. that's a. Well, I was okay, so now, relieved. See, now I know this. Well, you're not tall. Um. No, I'm not tall. <laughs> And I was so relieved because I outgrew my mother. And that was really all I wanted to do. <laughs> I was outgrew my mother. Um, and that was a hard growth spurt because I didn't have any money. I was a broke college student. So Ooh. I had to just wear cutoffs because all my jeans were too short. So I just wore cutoffs a lot in my freshman year at Colorado State in Fort Collins. But anyway, um, I love that this story leads us right into this whole idea of belonging. And I shared with you something that's been gnawing at me. And um, it's this interaction I had with somebody where he, he just feels compelled to name names, you know, to talk about who he knows and how important he is down to this idea of um, he was getting a, a permit for building at his home. And he said, oh, yeah, I got my permit because I know people. And all I could think was, you poor guy, that you feel so compelled to tell a stranger how important you are. We hardly know each other. We're, we hardly know each other, but he felt compelled to tell me how important he was by sharing this story. And um, at first I was annoyed by it. It was that, oh, please. Like I've lived in this, it's a little teeny town. Everybody knows everybody. You'll run into the governor at the grocery store for goodness sake. I mean, it's. A, but the other part of me after you know, allowing for a little bit of frustration and annoyance, it came back to me about how sad that is. And when you started talking about self-belonging in your approach to belonging, that is the person that popped into my head. So tell me about your story of self-belonging, if you don't mind. Well, it's still going, by the way. <laughs> well, I would hope so. I mean, nobody stops, right? Um, I mean, especially because we change over um, time. So every single one of us is born without self-belonging. Your children, they're on the earth. They didn't belong until they landed in your arms. It's kind of that simple. There is absolutely nothing they could do at that stage to go, I'm me. And if you don't like me, mom, TFB, <laughs> you know, that's, that's the reality. And then somewhere along the way, like luckily for me, it was it was part of it was Ray, part of it was my family also. I mean, right. but family of origins, family of origin, our self-belonging forms in that space. And then uh, as soon as we start creating our social bonds, and um, I won't go too nerd out because I can totally nerd out on this on the social sciences, <laughs> but mm -hmm. as, as children everything is mom and dad say this, that's what good and bad and why I'm also good and bad and everything else. But then there's the meeting of new friends. And then there's the, 
then our brain explodes and turns into a pre-adolescent, and then we can we can think exponentially, and our, and our brain goes four thousand words a minute. Um, our our talking back and forth right now, and even right before the show here, was forty, and in forty, we get to see our potholes. And we can also see everything in the light of our brightness. If we would like to think in terms of headlight, headlamps in front illuminating our way, that's our brightness that comes through. But we didn't, we're not born with that. It gets there. And then at a certain point, it becomes self-belonging where, no, mom. And there's like, I just asked you to do something, but there were uh, 13 different reasons why not. And technically, they even held back because there were there were six other reasons they chose to hold back for later. Um, <laughs> but this but this is part of the the interdependence that's developing in belonging and self belonging comes from belonging. And but the crazy part is, then we end up in a paradox because to belong with others. We have to belong with ourselves. Otherwise, we're fitting in. But to belong with ourselves, we have to belong with others because if we don't belong with others, we just go crazy. Uh, we, lose, we lose our ability to be whole. Um, and that's because we're made to, to, to look at each other, to be able to connect with each other and have each other's backs at the same time. And like for me, I, I, when I think of... And it's kind of an interesting because that was an integral part for me. Um, I was still a child at that point. And yeah, I was like, I can't play soccer. How the hell? Am I? You're going to play soccer, mom and dad. Um, <laughs> and they were playing soccer and then just, you know, rep after rep after rep and muscle memory, uh, neurological muscle memory, everything that happens in that all of a sudden. I'm actually, I belong. Because even even as adults, we get into places where like, I don't belong, <laughs> and we're we're you know because we do have those lapses. Hopefully, we have a lot fewer lapses. But it's in that place, and so for me, I mean, and I mentioned this earlier, and it was probably one of the because I hadn't really put so much effort into the process. Um. But when I was divorced, it was a sudden divorce. wasn't expecting it. It was a long time ago. Um, and I went, I went and got counseling because I was like, how the fuck am I supposed to make sense of this? I got to rethink my whole world. And then so self-belonging took a massive hit at that point. And, and even if it was, it was probably, it was better for me, everything. Um, I, I don't want to, I don't want to bastardize an old relationship because I think that's not really, that's kind of dumb anyway. It's not helpful. Um, um, <laughs> but the counseling took me to a place and then I was in another relationship and you won't know this unless you're in a relationship where, oh, this, I'm, I'm not enough for this person. And they always want me to be this way or that way. And then I don't know if I'm going to get up in the morning with this person and that you're going to, you're going to be embraced or you're going to be shunned. Um, and I decided that, Hmm, well, fine. If this is the way life is going to be with you, I, I choose not. And that's an act of self-belonging. Mm. And at that point I decided it was okay to love myself enough to not be in that place because I chose, I figured out that 
if somebody, if I can't be enough, if being me isn't enough, then I don't belong with you. And it never will be. And it never will be, right? I mean, I think that's something we forget when we're in a relationship, even at work with a boss who who thinks we're not enough. uh, That's my whole thing about workplace and belonging is, hey, Sarah, all you're defined as is the set of roles and responsibilities. Nothing else about you actually even qualifies as measuring whether or not you're enough. It's just the task and therefore never will be enough because it's not about the human side of things. It's about the results side. And when we belong, we're in tribe and that shit don't happen because um, instead of being a disposable piece cog that can actually get a result done, uh, you're part of the, the company tribe that's going forward and you don't get left behind. Mm-hmm. And if you, and if something happens and it's an accident or there's out of the control of the tribe and somebody does get lost or left behind, everybody mourns. Mm-hmm. Nobody just puts out a job application in the next two days to find <laughs> right. out for the new, new person. <laughs> right. We're <laughs> but, just going to replace but, them. But like, so at that point I got to that place where whoever I was going to meet next and luckily it was Elisa and we're now, we just had her 20 year. Uh, oh, happy anniversary. anniversary. Yes. Um, wow. And I'm, I was enough from the, from the instant. Mm-hmm. And that allows for actual vulnerability. It allows for, to push harder than I probably ever could have thought of. Because I don't want to let her down. It's not about if I let her down, I'm out. This is the, it's the opposite. It's it's the deepest of you know human brotherhood, sisterhood, um, and I'll be inclusive, jihood. Um, that's the place. When we land there, um, I'll pause. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw my my definition of belonging just so people have a context. Mm-hmm. Being able to be yourself, um, be praised, understood, listened to, so on, that's not belonging. That's affirmation. You're being affirmed. Belonging is when you, and I use these three categories, you feel, own, and care for somebody in successes, dreams, and failures. And that's the giving part. And they, not in transaction, but they in reciprocal feel, own, care for you and successes, dreams, and failures. If I would go go back to Ray back in fourth, fourth grade playing my first soccer, I had a coach that I'll use the technical words, gave me empathy. And he took accountability, which is the own part ownership. He took ownership. I was his player. And he took compassion or he cared for me by taking extra time, uh, sometimes slapping me on the, on the ass and saying, how are you quit being a wuss and get going? You know, you name it. It was that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But he, and believe me, there was successes, dreams, and failures. I just wanted to survive and play. And mm-hmm. I was not good. So there was a lot of failure in that spot. <laughs> when we have that, we go from a deficit to going, I'm enough. And I'm enough right where I am. 
Um, and to go to your neighbor, there's a definite lack of enoughness going on. Yes. Um, definitely. Like- <laughs> it does, you know, and again, I, I have compassion for that because I understand that some people have filled their lives with stuff in order to make up for not being enough. Right. And I, man, that's awful. That is an awful thing to think about somebody. You, th- you think about him as, as little Paul. He didn't have a coach that said, you're enough. You can do more. Like you're enough the way you are. Yeah. I believe in you. Like I can't imagine that he ever had somebody that mentored him to the point where he believed in himself and he belonged to himself. And I, I, I want to go back a little bit. Because um, I find the distinction between fitting in and belonging really, really, really important. And I, I have a moment in my personal growth where I understood that distinction. Oh, you, have to, you have to tell it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, I was, oh, in my late 30s. And I was working at a hotel as a director of sales. And I had never worked in a hotel before. And I was hired at this very high level to manage some staff and, and be the director of sales at a hotel that was under new ownership, new management. And uh, my boss, the general manager, also had zero hotel experience. And he was hired because he was a high school buddy of one of the owners. And he used to run a bar. So suddenly, this team of the blind leading the blind are trying to run this multi-million dollar hotel in downtown where I live, in downtown Helena. And... Honestly, my boss was not competent. He was a very nice guy and he was devoted to making this work. He did not have the competence for it. And so we had a lot of friction to to say the least. And um, it, it got pretty ugly sometimes in our office. But here's the thing that happened. The other hoteliers in town, it's a very small town, as I mentioned before, were really unhappy with the dynamic of this hotel. They they were taking ownership because they were embarrassed or whatever. They just thought that, you know, these two outsiders, you now hoteliers and people in the, the hospitality industry can be very clicky. And we did not fit in, <laughs> the two of us. Neither of us. I had lots of restaurant experience, dozens, like over 15 years in restaurants, but not the same thing as a hotel. And I'll never forget going to the uh, conference for hoteliers across the state that first year. And the very beginning of the, the conference, they had it in this beautiful old hotel and they got everyone into um, an auditorium and did an orientation for those of us who were new to the this conference, not new to hotels, but new to this conference necessarily. So, um, and at the end, they said, we are going to um, put you together with a, a mentor here. And we have this list of names and all of us newbies, there are probably 40 of us, maybe 50 of us sitting in the auditorium in the chairs and these mentors lining the walls so that we could be connected with our mentor to to help orient us for this conference and make it really useful. And I'm sitting there and they're calling out names. And suddenly I'm like one of 10 people left in this room. Gosh, it's kickball. It was, that's why I said I can relate to the kickball thing. <laughs> and not only that, I'm little. And so even in school, you know, I, 
I was actually not bad at it, but people assumed I'd be bad at it because I was so little. They thought I was frail. It was, there's nothing frail about me. But anyway, so here I am sitting in the room and I noticed there are about 10 people left. And I'm thinking, this is not going to end well. I knew, like, I just felt the energy. I knew this was not going to end well. I did not want to be left there by myself. Not because I cared what anybody thought, but because that would be awkward. And then they would feel compelled to have to, oh, oh, yes, we have your name and make something up. So I snuck out and didn't even bother getting connected with a, and I'm using air quotes, mentor. (laughs) And it dawned on me after I talked to one of my friends who is now a dear, dear friend of mine who owned uh, a hotel at the time. She, um, She pulled me aside and we had this conversation. I said, was that my imagination that that was intentional? She's like, well, given what I know about the people organizing this, it might have been a little on the intentional side. Might have and been. <laughs> it might have been. And she was trying to be diplomatic. And I love this woman. And she she was a great mentor to me for the time I worked at that hotel. But the irony was that I was sitting there. And as I stood up to walk out, I had that little ache of, wow, I really don't fit in here. And then all of a sudden, I got this big smile on my face as I walked out and took a deep breath and went, oh, thank goodness I don't fit here. Because if people are going to be such assholes, I don't want to be part of that. I don't want to fit in this group. Yeah. No way. And that was the moment I realized I belong where I belong. I don't have to fit in. It's a totally different thing. And that that was my shift in mindset. That's so awesome. (laughs) (laughs) So awesome. (laughs) No, I mean... um just given the demographics of where you are um, and, and in the industry, uh, that's, that's awesome. And it takes a lot, a lot of effort to go there, to have that intention is great, but you can't stay in intention because it's fucking exhausting. Mm-hmm. You have and to I land it. I know every, Oh, you just, what's your intention? What's your purpose? Be purposeful. It's like, no, if I had to concentrate on every step I took walking would suck. (laughs) Thing is I can walk because it's just automatic and, and I can walk in a healthy way and it works. But that same thing, but to get to that point though, to sit with all the pressure because it's because we're designed to belong which means we're also designed to know when we don't get <laughs> in. <laughs> and do we want to? Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, yeah. So when was it that you realized that fitting in wasn't wasn't what you wanted? Um, so interpersonally, that took a lot longer to figure out. <laughs> Just because I got <laughs> married and didn't even put any mind to it at all and whatever else. And if I'd have been really mindful of myself and what a who am I? What do I really care about? What are my triggers? What matters to me? Um, other than being a goofball guy. Um, and I'll admit I'm a goofball guy. I mean, I'm wearing a boldly go Star Trek shirt. Um, that's what I should I, do a screenshot of that. <laughs> you okay. Go. You ready? We're going to do a screenshot in the middle of this recording. Say cheese. Cheese. <laughs> there we go. Thanks. I'm going to include that. I've had this underdogish kind of attitude 
like in my fifth, when I was five years old, mom throws a birthday party, pre-cell phone, by the way, audience out there. Um, all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of kids at my birthday party and I'm not. And there was one kid who couldn't come cause he got in trouble. And so I went down the street and, uh, we made mud pies with his mom's brand new pie plates and stuff and got in trouble <laughs> for that, but he couldn't come to the party. So I went to where he was and, but really getting it, I have multiple points. Um, let's see. As a high school teacher, and that'd be 25 years ago, um, I did it. I graduated from Seattle Pacific University at the time, top school for getting your teaching credentials and being a teacher, like the place if you wanted to get a job anywhere in the U.S. to teach. I got done. I had, and I, I'm an, kind of an overachiever at times. I had all my lesson plans for the full year completely written with all the learnings broken down with the active learning <laughs> elements, <laughs> as well as the cognitive breakdown of the elements. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, all set. And I start teaching and there was this instant click from a, and I had, I have adolescent development, educational stuff, I have child development. It was a child development counselor for years and another job. But boy, it hit me right up, right just like that. Oh, yeah. If they don't know I love them, that will always be in the way of the learning. And this classroom has to be theirs. And so I basically chucked out all my grandiose technical ideas and said, this is going to be a classroom of, of real love and care for each other. And that they would, they would take care of each other and have each other. And it was pretty interesting because at one point I had, I had a classroom of 43 kids. That's a lot. They all got on each other's case, self-police took care of each other, razzed the crap out of each other and did unbelievably amazing shit. And it really came down to, if, if I were to go at a professional level, that's when I knew my students had to know they were loved and they belonged in my classroom. And they, they had to know that they were my students, not just students. I, I think that part. Yeah, that you had ownership in their success and failures. Uh, that, matter of fact, that was my, I, that was my biggest crunchy was... My first year, and I and I taught at my old high school. I went back and taught at my old high school in White Center. Wow! So I'm welcome back, Cotter. Yes. you're probably not. Old. Are you old enough? Oh yes. Really? <laughs> Damn. Um, um, so I taught sweat hogs who had all failed math twice, and in order to graduate, had to pass. Oh boy! And so, and um, this was that was in uh, one or two periods, and then I had regular. Uh, algebra that I've taught. But in the end, I had 152 students. Um, I had two that didn't pass. And it was, and it was because their attendance was never going to be allowed to pass. <laughs> and I was calling them and their parents and showing up. Uh, um, what mattered the most to me was that they make it 
that they could not get trapped in white center. Um, nickname is rat city. That's a poor area oh, in boy. Seattle. Um, that they could make it and, and see more for their lives and not just get caught in a, in a poverty loop. Um, and that, that was, that was a big deal. Matter of fact, I, I'm so pissed off my math department because I said, here's the deal. I will make up a new test for you and you can take it as many times as you want to get the highest grade that you want. But you're not going to have the answers and there's no key because I haven't even made it up. I'm just going to make a test up on the fly. And that was the beauty of having a tech company before that I used to know. I knew how to use technology and I could just make <laughs> all this shit happen. <laughs> yep. <laughs> but my students would sometimes take a test over four times just so they could improve it. My math runs like, you know, you're messing up the, the, the curve. I says, why? Because I have students that were D and C that are now uh, B and A students that actually learned math when they didn't give a shit about math because you're from white center. And what am I going to do with algebra? Um, and, and that whole thing goes back to, they knew they were mine. When did you figure out you could apply this at work? Oh, instantly. Um, well, when did you actually apply it at work? What, you had this moment at school where you went, oh, I have to love these students. I don't have to like them, but I have to love them. I, I'm just putting words in your mouth. <laughs> but um, I'm projecting here because I, I love a lot of people. I don't like everybody, but I love a lot of people. But um, so, um, Okay. So now quickly, that's funny you say that because... <laughs> at one point I was, they wanted me to be the, because I was the poster boy. I showed up in different ads and stuff for funding for Washington state and schools and the Highline uh, um, Education Association, the, the teachers union, um, because I'll get up and I'll talk to anybody. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting in this meeting and it's this union thing. And they're, this is Paul Howery, blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like that person introducing Oh, right. I know people, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like listening and you know, I says, okay, guys, I have a question. And cause there was, this was a real dilemma going on in Washington state with the, with the legislatures and everything, because the legislature was Republican and the teaching dem uh, union was Democrat, Democrat focused. Mm -hmm. And it, and I walked into it and it just this giant bitch session about politics. Right. And I'm like going, okay, Hey, you guys, I'm with you on the sympathy side, but what are you guys doing? Because we all signed a contract to teach kids and to put them first and, and help them grow. And I go, if, and I, I started, I go, if the legislature is wanting money spent in certain ways because they control the money, if you don't take the money and the kids get hurt because of it, like all of a sudden, Whose side are you on? Start <laughs> I quickly found out I didn't belong in that room. <laughs> they're like, but that but that was the space, and it was like, no, I chose this. I chose this profession. I chose this thing. Therefore, that's my stand. And of course, the the guy who was introduced me goes, well, that didn't go very well. I go, yeah. What do you think? I says, well, uh, sitting around complaining about not getting your cost of living wages of 19% over 12 years and bitching about that and not doing your job was not acceptable to me. Um, because you, you, you make a commitment, you do that. And so to the love side, I love those kids. 
and it was and it's that simple and therefore i chose to belong with them and that's why i say mm -hmm. the belonging is giving mm -hmm. um it's too often defined by because you get something that's affirmation um belonging and affirmation are two different things belonging is you're mine i'm yours we go through fire together As a matter of fact that this is my whole this is my whole beef oh, oh tangent psychological safety absolutely we have to have it but when it becomes the pinnacle it is the massive governor on human potential mm, totally agree because totally agree. how do you innovate you'll only do it if it's safe belongings the other way around as a matter of fact and it's the true safety if i'm with you somewhere and you're with me and we have each other then we can walk through fire we'll go into the unsafe place matter of fact i'll go into the unsafe place for you you'll go into the unsafe place for me we'll get vulnerable and talk about you know our pets and, and our family and our life and all that shit. because so tell me again i i'm i'm really i would love to see like a very specific example of that moment in the classroom but it will when you got to when you got to you knew you needed to when did you see that happen because we need this now more than ever in our workplaces and there are managers who are not going to be touchy-feely that's just not in their nature so how how can they love somebody and encourage belonging feel self-belonging without having to cry with somebody and <laughs> and i ask that for because i'm projecting here um, i am i am not an emotional person i mean i am i am sensitive to people's emotions but I'm not the person that my friends come and cry to. I mean, they do. And I, I'm a oh, great friend do. in that way, but <laughs> not very long. You know, they come to me for the kick in the ass. They come to me to say, okay, I'm, I'm sad. I'm struggling. What do I do next? And I'm like, all right. Okay. No, I don't, I don't, what a beautiful <laughs> testimony. It's because they don't come to you for you to fix them. They come to you because they belong and they know that you'll give if that's what's needed and i love you and why are you being such a wuss <laughs> my co my coach if i was to go all the way back to ray wolf uh you know pat on the butt and then a kick in the ass uh all in the same motion right and so and from a workplace standpoint i mean i was in that space on the get-go and yeah that also meant enormous amount of patience in working with my teams and so my first thing was my senior network admin you ever seen the saturday night live uh it guy jimmy fallon yes <laughs> <laughs> um that wasn't gonna fly with me and what that meant was me um and it became a funny state thing i was like uh oh paul's gonna take you for the walk and it was yeah. And it was instead of me pulling an edict and a dictate and whatever else, it was to go and walk with the person and explain where I want us to get to, what will create the highest performing space. Because the truth of the matter is, and I do wish people would get this, performance follows the heart. The heart is in its absolute best place when it belongs just flat out the highest performing teams on earth 
belong because and and that what comes from that is they don't even consider that they don't belong so everything that they have can go towards just kicking ass and that's the space so i'm i'm a little confused so i'd love to get a little bit more into depth about this senior tech guy oh yeah i'm coming was he misbehaving toward oh he was the study live tech guy okay so he was being he was kind of abusive to his employees he wasn't a abusive but he was he was definitely traditional it move and you need to do it this way or else nope i'm not even going to talk uh, about it ah, you know just that micromanaging and abrupt uh, yeah <laughs> okay um afterwards though and gra- oh, gradually and then all of a sudden just like everything that happens it know, takes time practice well, well like even yours gradually you were aware of all these things of Oh God, am I fitting in? Am I fitting in? Am I fitting in? It's like, fuck fitting in. I belong. And if I don't belong here, I'll belong somewhere else. You know, that's, that's a gradual. And then all of a sudden, mm-hmm. but the same, the same thing happens with people. And once they actually find out that they belong to you, things change. As long as like for my students, they knew they were, they were Mr. Howery's kids. Mm-hmm. IT. Oh, IT is the sanctuary. You go there, you're with Paul. My my teams, even when they bantered and stepped on each other's toes, had each other's backs. You weren't going to see people in IT uh, playing a political move that would do anything. They, it was it was it was basically fuck you if you were going to do that. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to manipulate and and yeah. Yeah. Now, what was marvelous was to see this turn into a place where, no, we're caring for each other. We're going to figure this out. We're going to show up for each other. Um, as a matter of fact, I, and I love him, and I've already recommended him on so many different jobs because I love this guy. There was a time where he missed work because of the brown bottle flu. Mm-hmm. He might have had a Facebook post. <laughs> and I simply said, Hey, here's the deal. That can never happen again. Um, because we rely on each other. We are a very small, dynamic team. I need to know if you're still in that space. And he was like, he didn't make an excuse. He didn't say nothing. Uh, his was, I'm sorry, that will never happen again. I have to tell you, Paul, the word own is kind of, I'm having a little trouble with that. It's okay. Um, <laughs> I mean, being a, a woman and having especially recent political events going on. <laughs> I know. Um, the idea of owning anybody is kind of <laughs> like, that's, I'm really struggling with that word. Okay, here, let me give I you, love give the, the idea of belonging as you have each other's back, that you have, um, that you have, ownership of their success or not even ownership um that you have skin in the game not ownership but skin in the game like i have skin in the game when it comes to my husband's success and failures because i believe in him (laughs) all right just a second here hey do you love your husband yes i have skin in the game yeah No. Well, okay. Let me. Okay. Let's give it. Let well, me, we've been married a long time, yeah. <laughs> and we've had so, two kids, so we literally have skin in. Yeah, it. you literally do. <laughs> okay. So let me throw it as a linguistic frame to you. All right. Um, are you going to go and introduce 
your husband as this is this is a man that I've committed my life to that a husband. No, what are you going to say? My husband. Right. Mm-hmm. You don't see, and I mean, my dogs aren't in here, otherwise I'd show, but there's my dog. This is the dog. Yeah, the dog, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this, this is the uh, husband. <laughs> yeah, you, mean, you, want, you want to instantly realize uh-huh. the actual mm-hmm. ownership that we actually have of each other. And this is not the possession type manipulating shit like that, but there is an actual ownership. It's That's my friend. That's my mom and dad. I almost lost my mom and dad in the last month. Yeah. Um, it's not a mom and dad. Fuck, it's my mom and dad. Um, if I were a Navy SEAL, um, it would be my team. Right. And, and this is the human it's it's you would be saying my kids you're not you're not losing your mind because they need some help because it's a kid <laughs> well i have to say i have kind of shifted to our kids i mean well and that's... and not just my husband and me because they're grown now so when i say our kids in my head, I'm also referring to the community that helped raise them. Okay, they don't. No, oh, they don't belong to me it. anymore. Okay, so here we go. I've got a. I've got a new thing. <laughs> they never throw. belong to me. I've but a, I. I've, I belong to them, but they didn't yes. necessarily belong to me. Well, and this is how you know belonging. If you say I belong to them, but they don't belong to you, you are giving to them, and you are giving a space that belonging can happen. Mm-hmm. Until it goes both ways, it's not belonging. That's the whole thing. It's a two-way street. And if we stay in a space of just giving, we've actually stepped into the perpetual state of ultimately just fitting in Mm -hmm. or just choosing to give. And then we lose that space of... So um, there's a guy, Owen Eastwood, and he's got a book, Belonging, the Ancient Code of Togetherness. Um, and it is my favorite book out right now on belonging. Um, and until I finish mine, it is probably the best book out there. Um, <laughs> he's uh, half Maori, half Irish. And he goes through everything from the ancient and the spiritual to the neurobiology of it. But there's the, 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 the simplest thing is you're part of an us story. Mm-hmm. And in that us story, you're an unbroken chain. The past stuff, everything in the present, and to where you will go in the future. Um, I just have to say this. One of the things that I have been puzzled by for years now, especially since I started doing my podcast, is how often I hear people say with sadness, I never really fit in. Mm. And, and they say it with sadness, like it's a bad thing. <laughs> and after that experience at the hotel, but, 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 I'm uh, like, but, uh, why are you so sad about that? <laughs> because in so the sad. absence of self-belonging. Right. They feel it's terrifying. That, right. You feel compelled to find a way to fit in. And I just realized uh, just in the last few years, especially hosting this podcast, that I have only once in over 200 episodes 
240 episodes. I've once heard somebody say, yeah, I totally fit in. I was part of the in crowd. I totally fit in. You know what he said next? He said, but I realized I had to get the hell out. <laughs> I was talking about, I was, I was everywhere that I didn't fit. Yeah, it was, and I, I, all I could think was, okay, here we go. And meanwhile, all of these people in my life are like, oh, I never really fit in as if that's a badge of honor or um, sad, like one or the other. And I don't, I'm, I'm just puzzled by it, but I think it's again, back to what you said, it's that they're, they feel compelled to find a way to fit in with some crowd because they lack belonging for themselves and within within a relationship that gives them that foundation of self-belonging. It's, it's, Ooh, it's, no, it's, just, it's, <laughs> my, my, my stomach is like, I just did sit-ups. <laughs> um, no, it's, um, I've got a, it's a long article. It's a TTLDR article that I, that I've heard from. Oh, it's too long. Well, don't read it then and just stay fitting in. Um, <laughs> but uh, wait for our listeners, TLDR. Oh, uh, too long. Didn't read. Okay, thank you. <laughs> for our listeners, I will have uh, a link to Paul's LinkedIn profile so you can follow him and maybe reach out with a personal connection invitation after you've learned so much about him. Um, and I'll have a couple of links inside the blog post associated with the podcast of things that we talked about through today, some of the books and recommendations. And Paul, if you could say one thing to my neighbor, <laughs> what would it be? All right. I'm you, I'm there, blank, blank, blank. I'm going to call him Joe. I don't know his name. Perfect. All right. Hey, Joe. You know, I'm glad you got it fixed. And it doesn't even matter to me who you know. You're enough. Perfect. <laughs> All that matters to me is that you are right here in front of me being kind. You're enough. Yeah. Yes. All right. So we have to approach with compassion is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Seriously. I hear you. <laughs> Paul, Actually, thank you. It's funny. Um, oh God, this is crazy. The taking, extending your vulnerability to give yourself an ownership to somebody and mm -hmm. also to take ownership because they can say no. Yes. And that's exactly. vulnerable. Yeah. Well, you know, sometimes you kind of hope they say no. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Paul, this has been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking your time and joining me on Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will. Oh, my pleasure. Loved it. Thank you. Thank you.